millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Uh, here we are with the benefit of some time over the Christmas break to be able to send you out some really, really good content uh, and some interesting ideas about modern history. So today we're going to take a, a dive into uh, looking at the Suez Crisis. Um, we've, we've approached the Suez um, here on the podcast many times before. And the reason why we keep coming back to it is it is this, this pivotal moment in the 20th century for a variety of different reasons. Firstly, and most obviously, it is uh, a, a huge stepping stone on uh, the road to British imperial decline as great power politics and uh, great power ambitions by Great Britain uh, and France, let us not forget, were uh, um, replaced by the, the realities of the, of the Cold War. Um, the British ultimately are um, given... Uh, an ultimatum by America that um, uh, they need to uh, retreat from uh, from Suez. Um, in James Barr's brilliant book, uh, Lords of the Desert, uh, a, a different conception is, uh, he, he places a, a different kind of uh, view on it, that um, uh, not only was there the, the Cold War between America and the Soviet Union ongoing, but also there was a, a kind of a cold war uh, in the desert uh, between America and Great Britain over the um, subject of influence in the Middle East. There are the um, issues of uh, Arab-Israeli conflict. Of course, Israel is chiefly involved in the um, attack on Egypt. And, uh, of course, uh, France's own struggles um, to prevent her imperial, uh, her, her empire from going into terminal decline, as it had done two years earlier in uh, Vietnam at the Battle of Dien Bien Phu, uh, and as as it was doing in uh, Algeria. So it it's one of these kind of 
crossroads of 20th century history, which is why it's, it's so important to, to explore. So today we're looking once again in Martin Thomas's brilliant book, Fight or Flight, uh, an amazing resource that I, and I really, really recommend. Um, and um, he begins by looking at uh, the uh, causes and the, um, the plans for um, the, uh, the, the attack on Suez. Um, by way of context, for those who um, haven't really explored this before very briefly, Britain had been um, a colonial power in Egypt since 1882, uh, and by the uh, in the the kind of the post-war era, mainly occupied the canal zone, um, uh, the uh, Suez Canal having been um, created by Ferdinand de Lesseps and um, part owned between uh, France and uh, Egypt. Um, but the Khedive of Egypt in 1876 went bankrupt and. Uh, Benjamin Disraeli, the British Prime Minister, along with the Rothschild Bank, bought the Egyptian shares in the canal, and thus making it an Anglo-French asset uh, and a key tool for uh, a, a huge, highly important strategic asset in uh, connecting Britain with its Asian empire. By the 1950s, it was mostly uh, the conduit by which Europe and the West received um, oil from the Middle East. So Martin Thomas writes, The Suez Canal Zone, 31st October 1956, the one event in the calendar of decolonisation, when British and French resolved to fight against imperial withdrawal, spectacularly and calamitously converged. I cannot imagine a worse act of aggression, wrote Indian um, Premier Jawaharlal Nehru on hearing news that Egypt had been invaded by Israeli, British and French forces. The whole future of the relations between Europe and Asia hangs in the balance. The invasion uh, to which he referred was the outcome of a secret Franco-British deal with Israel, uh, the Severus Protocol of the 24th of October. On uh, one of the most uh, infamous arrangements in the entire history of modern European empire, it concocted false pretexts to attack Egypt. The aim was to depose the country's troublesome ruler, General Gamal Abdel Nasser, quickly, before either his armed forces or his foreign friends could do much about it. The protocol was agreed over three days of discussion. At its centre was a high-level Israeli negotiating team consisting of Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion, Chief of Staff Moshe Dayan, and Defence Ministry Director Shimon Peres, who met with their counterparts in Guy Mollet's French government. The talks were held in the quiet suburban home of the Bonnier de Chapelle family. The family's devotion to the resistance was, ex was exemplary, like that of the French Premier, who had endured uh, repeated arrests um, and Gestapo interrogation. Indeed, their 18-year-old son was executed for involvement in the assassination of Admiral Dahlan, Vichy's Imperial Plenipotentiary in Algiers, on Christmas Eve 1942. All of this endeared the Israeli visitors to their French hosts. Foreign Secretary Selwyn Lloyd, who represented British interests at Severus, with two Foreign Office advisers, arrived later, by which time the bonhomie between the French and the Israelis was in full flow. 
Some interesting dynamics seem to kind of emerge at this meeting. That Selwyn Lloyd are kind of a rather um, conservative with a small c character. Um, less inclined to um, talk of gung-ho action and um, uh, extreme adventurism. Um, comes slightly later to the party. The um, Israelis and the French are, seem very, very kind of committed to the course of action and very excited about what, what can happen and what will be possible. Um, and the uh, Selwyn Lloyd, as a, a representative of, of Great Britain, uh, seems on some level sort of slightly uh, kind of unsuited to, to the, 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 dis, uh, the exchange, the discussions that are, are, are going on. The, the French and Israeli participants, even the opposite number of um, Selwyn Lloyd, um, Christian Pigneau, um, who um, had also served in, in the resistance, seemed to have a, a strong connection with the Israelis, many of whom who had um, actually served in the Haganah and conspired against Britain uh, in the Mandate of Palestine uh, in 1948. So there, there were levels of connection between the Israelis and the French um, where they were considering the overthrow of another regime that perhaps the British weren't really kind of um, uh, fully, fully part of. Um, this was a far cry, writes Martin Thomas, from Lloyd's War Service as a senior officer in the British Second Army that had pushed through northwest Europe uh, after D-Day. There, there is um, a really interesting point made by David Edgerton in um, the, uh, the Rise and Fall of the British Nation when he talks about how many uh, British cabinet ministers in the post-war era uh, from Clement Attlee all the way up to some of Thatcher's cabinet, people like Jim Pryor and Willie Whitelaw, who had been um, army officers, um, and how much of the the kind of uh, the, the culture of um, uh, militarism, but also kind of a military understanding and judgment, was integrated into um, British cabinets all the way up until the 1980s. Uh, by the 1990s, this goes into uh, terminal decline uh, and the, 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 the return of such extreme adventuring in the Middle East uh, as I Iraq um, is in, in some way related to that, uh, the um, uh, total uh, lack of any sort of um, understanding of um, risks, consequences, exit strategies or, or anything like that. Martin Thomas writes... Whatever Lloyd's discomfort, the British government's commitment to the deal eventually done was never in doubt. It was just that neither the Foreign Office nor the Cabinet wished to advertise the fact. Israeli forces would advance into the Sinai Desert, paving the way for an Anglo-French expeditionary force to occupy the Canal Zone and separate the warring Israeli and Egyptian armies. Ruthlessly Machiavellian, Operation Musketeer was worthy of Stalin, whose political heirs were at the time, busy crushing a popular uprising in Budapest. Western democracies and NATO partners, even those with mounting imperial worries, supposedly upheld, their, uh, upheld higher standards. Or did they? Nero had a point. 
invasion turned into fiasco in barely a week. The question of NATO is an interesting one here. Um, obviously, all NATO powers are able to operate independent foreign policies until, of course, one is attacked, and then uh, that's very much kind of um, off the table. Um, an attack on one is an attack on all. But NATO powers as aggressors in their own right um, presented a an interesting and perhaps unexpected dynamic within the alliance, to uh, especially to people like Eisenhower, the US president. The idea that two NATO powers would, uh, in secret, ally with a third power and invade a sovereign nation in order to further their own interests, at the same time um, as being part of the, the Western anti-Soviet alliance, um, essentially carrying on like the imperial buccaneers they still imagine themselves to be, was um, utterly incongruous, uh, utterly sort of incompatible to the, the functioning of the Western military uh, alliance. And the Western military alliance revolved around Washington, uh, which meant that the ability of countries like Britain and France to manoeuvre uh, on their own and to really reclaim their own um, strategic and colonial and imperial objectives, uh, that, that was something that was completely, completely uh, unacceptable to uh, Eisenhower, and he makes that abundantly clear fairly shortly afterwards. Um, so Suez itself is kind of a shorthand um, for um, historians um, to indicate a kind of a, a, a turning point or a watershed moment uh, in its impact on uh, decolonisation. Um, the Prime Minister of the day, Anthony Eden, um, who was chronically ill uh, with um, chronic pain and uh, a variety of ailments from a, a failed operation, um, perhaps um, the more sympathetic way of looking at him was he was, he was misguided, um, he was naive, he was... Uh, under, uh, the historians that cut him a lot of slack suggest that the, the kind of the pressure he was under from his own ill health um, clouded his judgment. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The idea that he was a deceitful figure um, is, is perhaps uh, slightly more apt um, or even delusional, the idea that he felt that this was a, a, a sensible course of action that could arrest British imperial decline. Um, Eden had felt that he had been provoked by NASA for a long, long time. Um, NASA had made various kind of um, uh, state policy statements and had made various speeches that uh, demeaned uh, Eden as the the kind of the um, the, the the unfortunate understudy to uh, to Churchill who had um, uh, resigned um, in the, the last the previous couple of years. Eden was of course uh, had been of course frustrated and determined to replace Churchill, seeing him as the kind of the the, the foolish old man. Um, Churchill having uh, returned to power. Uh, after the his his defeat uh, at the hands of Labour, having returned to power in 1951, um, and Churchill uh, in his 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 later years had clearly begun to kind of lose his um, his, his ability to focus, his concentration, his his health, uh, uh, and all the rest. So Eden was raring to go and des- desperate to prove himself. Eden himself had been a very, very popular figure. He'd had a very good war. He'd been Churchill's foreign secretary during the war and had uh, had some some fairly distinguished political service and had been a, 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 a statesmanly figure representing Britain around the world uh, during the war. Uh, but in the, the 1950s, kind of almost like a different sort of character emerges, a far more self-serving, uh, self-interested uh, careerist uh, obsessed with his uh, his standing uh, and determined to prove himself uh, as a significant political figure. Um, Eden stepped down, writes Martin Thomas, in January 1957, a broken man, after the Eisenhower administration condemned the Suez venture and pulled the financial rug from underneath it. His career in ruins, the former Prime Minister remained unrepentant. If anything, now more convinced in the aftermath of the crisis, that before it, uh, the, uh, the before it, that the overthrowing the Cairo regime made sense. Such blinkered intransigence left him exposed to ridicule. Eden's opposite number was bes- the bespectacled, football-loving Anglophile, the French socialist leader Guy Mollet. The Frenchman was blessed with neither Eden's suaveness nor his good looks. Um, Eden, the old Etonian, had, be du- had been dubbed Lord Eyelashes, by Italian journalists in the 1930s. Mollet, a former schoolteacher from Arras in Normandy, bore a striking resemblance to comedian Arthur Askey, and those who might be aware of Arthur Askey will know that that's not a very, very flattering look. The French socialists, by then a highly disciplined party, um, held together despite vigorous complaint from the young socialist wing led by Michel Rocard, Yet Mollet's centre-left Republican front also collapsed a few months later, not over Suez, 
but over the issue that inspired the visceral French hatred of Nasser, the Algerian War. Nasser, as a pan-Arab nationalist uh, who really hoped to create um, a, a kind of a union of Arab nations, radically opposed to uh, European uh, colonisation of the, the Middle East and sitting uh, independently within the, uh, the milieu of the Cold War, had, of course, done everything he could do to help aid and encourage um, Algerian rebels uh, against the French. So he was uh, looked upon with the kind of loathing that perhaps uh, British elite circles reserved for figures like Gerry Adams and Martin McGuinness during the, during the Troubles. It was NASA's announcement that the Suez Canal would be nationalised uh, that brought matters to a head for the British and the French. This was intolerable. The idea that something that belonged to um, the British and the French uh, would be taken into state hands um, was unacceptable. In 1953, when the um, uh, Anglo-Persian oil company was threatened with nationalisation by Dr. Mohammed Mossadegh, in um, uh, in Iran, the uh, CIA and MI6 uh, worked together uh, with um, reactionary groups within Iran in order to overthrow the Mossadegh regime. Under the um, claim that you know Mossadegh was moving far too close to the Soviet Union and was uh, going to draw. Iran into Soviet uh, a Soviet sphere of influence, which is a, a nonsense. There is no no intention on the part of Mossadegh, who was uh, nothing more than a an Iranian nationalist, of handing the country over to uh, Stalin and then and, uh, then later Khrushchev. There was no question of that that occurring whatsoever. Um, it was a, a useful um, way of motivating. Uh, American presidents uh, to act against uh, the um, the threat of, of nationalization, and so too the the threat of nationalizing the um, the Suez Canal would have been an enormous blow to um, the uh, agendas of both Britain and France and the the world position of both Britain and France. And Martin Thomas expresses it thusly. Emerging from Downing Street on the 28th of June 1956, Harold Macmillan, still Chancellor at this time, recorded the sense of imperial problems clamouring for cabinet attention in the weeks before NASA's announcement of the Suez Canal nationalisation. Terrible agenda. Cyprus, Malta, Libya, Egypt. All trouble and mostly blackmail. After nationalisation on the 26th of July, Suez became the all-consuming issue for an inner circle of favoured ministers in an Egypt committee. Its deliberations were often closed to wider cabinet or Whitehall advice. For three months, from mid-July to mid-October, Eden and fellow committee members, including the Foreign Secretary, Lloyd, Macmillan and Lord Salisbury, Robert Cecil, formerly Viscount Cranbourne, talked of using force only as a last resort. But in a way, their past imperial rhetoric had already boxed them into a corner. Previous right-wing criticism of Labour's scuttle from Palestine 
and its handling of Persia's nationalisation of the Anglo-Iranian oil company in the Abadan crisis of May 1951 constrained conservative choices in late 1956, suggesting that a firm handle in the Middle East was overdue. And, of course, the uh, British press were in no doubt as, the, uh, as to the, the right thing to do, as inevitably Britain's newspapers tend to. They um, focused on uh, immediate action to um, deal with the threat of nationalisation and restore British national pride in the Middle East. By presenting Nasser as uh, another Hitler, uh, which was, is an absurd proposition, um, and being um, and presenting Eden um, as a possible um, Neville Chamberlain, an appeaser, somebody that backs down to uh, the, the enemy, it, it makes for a simple narrative that British uh, newspaper consumers uh, uh, understood, but uh, it started to bring cut away the choices that, that Eden had. So not only the previous policy of attacking any Labour perceived weakness in the Middle East um, uh, made it impossible for the Conservatives to do anything else other than um, uh, reach, go straight to aggression. So too, the normally right-wing government-supporting uh, daily newspapers, the Express, the Mail and the Ter- Telegraph, put immense pressure on the government to be firm and to to take action. Um, All three newspapers, of course, and this goes without saying, remained unrepentant when the whole scheme backfired. Um, Martin Thomas writes, their imperialism, the imperialism of British newspapers, at least was openly displayed. Most of Eden's fellow ministers were less forthright in public. The um, The majority either shared their leader's apocalyptic vision of Nasser as an Arab Mussolini bestriding the Arab world, or they acquiesced in it. Only two junior ministers resigned in protest. A third, a more senior minister, the Minister of Defence, Walter Monckton, quit his job for the lesser stresses of Postmaster General. More typical was Macmillan, the leader of the Bolters. In other words, those ministers quickest to disavow their earlier backing for Eden. He was preeminent among his cabinet, um, among the cabinet members, anxious to draw a veil over the early enthusiasm for military intervention, British service chiefs were more honest. Chief of Imperial General Staff Sir Gerald Templer endorsed the tripartite invasion or, operator, or, or Operation Musketeer. First Seal of Mountbatten opposed it, and Air Chief Marshal Sir Dennis Smallwood dismissed Eden's excuses for action as utterly phony. In Parliament and the country, political parties, no less than radio listeners, pub drinkers, families and long-time friendships, split over the issue. Labour boasted several strongly pro-Zionist figures who were willing to back Israel. The Conservative backbenchers, rather like the Whitehall Civil Service, were never monolithically imperialist, but expressed a wide spectrum of opinion, from moral disgust to the die-hard empire loyalism of the Suez Club, Rowdies, Lord Salisbury, Julian Amory and Neil Billy McLean. One of the most high-profile ruptures was between the government and the BBC. The corporation was uncomfortable with the role of semi-official government cheerleader, both in its domestic programming and in its Arabic language broadcasting. That Suez was immensely divisive is beyond doubt, 
but it was the definitive post-war turning point for the British Empire, and indeed for the French. So we're going to return to this pretty soon, um, but it's important to rem remember with um, Suez something that Margaret Thatcher uh, said at the time of the Falklands in uh, 1982, was that... After the disaster of Suez, the British never really dared to try something so um, uh, so audacious, so assertive uh, on the the world stage uh, again. And it was Margaret Thatcher's contention, probably falsely, that the the Falklands kind of restored uh, the confidence for Britain to to act. Uh, as an independent power, again, there's virtually no uh, no sense that that's actually true at all. But uh, sometimes you have to uh, delve into the uh, kind of the fantasies that politicians engage in in order to understand what it is that they they believe. Uh, but certainly, Suez was a, a had a, a fundamental effect on the the functioning of British foreign policy for more than a generation. Anyway, thanks very much, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.